this, see, this is, some of you don't realize how old I am. This was back in the day before, like, everyone had a cell phone, and you, like, talk, you know, you text all the time, or it's not even called text anymore, whatever it's called. You know, you're able to message back and forth. This was like, you had a landline, and, you know, if you had a, if you had a girlfriend or whatever, you had to, you had to, like, wait till you got home, and both people were at home, and you would call, and every, every home only had one phone. Does anyone remember those days? Um, yeah, so there was one phone in the home, and, and uh, you would wait to get your call. And, and I remember this particular day, uh, my girlfriend called, and we began to talk, and she was like, oh, you're never going to believe it. I had the craziest story. And, and uh, I said, yeah, what happened? And she goes, oh, well, I, was, I, went to the, I went to the gas station. She's from America. She's not from South Africa, obviously. And uh, so she didn't say petrol station. <laughs> Uh, she said, I went to the gas station and I need, my car was out of gas. And so I stopped to get gas and, um, I put gas in the car. And then when I started the engine, all of a sudden my car began to sputter and smoke and I put it in drive and I began to go and it just, it it was just herking and jerking and it wouldn't go and sputtering and smoke was anywhere. And then it died. And she said, I didn't know what happened. And she said, did you know that there were two types of gas at the gas station? She said, there's regular gas, and then apparently there's this stuff called diesel. I was raised in a mechanic's home. And so I did know there were two types of gas. And I didn't know that anyone who was old enough to drive didn't know there were two types of gas. And I was like, wait, you didn't know? You, no, I didn't know. I, and I'm like, why did you choose? Have you ever put diesel in your car before? And she goes, no, I've never put diesel in my car before. I'm like, well, why did you put diesel in your car? And she said, well, it was cheaper. And I didn't have much money, so I just thought, why would I pay more? I'll just put the cheaper gas in my car, and that'll be better. And so she put diesel in her car, and then obviously her car wouldn't run. The engine sputtered. It smoked. wouldn't operate correctly because the wrong kind of fuel was put in the car. Last week, we started talking about the generosity engine. We believe, we teach, we model here at North Place that one of the primary characteristics of God is generosity. And as people who have been created in his image, we were, we were created and we were designed to reflect the generous nature and character of God. But the problem is because of sin, the generosity engine gets broken in our life. And this morning we're going to talk about the fact that when you and I are fueling the generosity engine with the wrong kind of fuel, it causes generosity to not work in our life. Last week when we started talking about generosity, we said biblical generosity is like an engine that harnesses the resources of our lives and aligns them with the heart of God. The heart of God is always generous. Your life is the story of God's generosity. You wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the fact that God is by nature generous. 
Not a single one of us are deserving of his mercy, of his love, of his grace. Not a single one of us are deserving of his good work in our life. It's only because he has treated you and I with an open hand. It's only because he's loved us when we were unlovable that any of us are here today. When you and I align with the heart of God, generosity operates in our life and reflects the character and nature of God. We start to look like him. But there's something inside of us that when twisted, when it's not functioning properly, when generosity is not functioning properly, all of a sudden this gets out of balance in our life. And so what we've been trying to learn together is how do I reflect the nature and the character of God? How do I operate in biblical generosity? Many people struggle with generosity because they confuse generosity with reciprocity. Everyone say reciprocity. I hate it when preachers make me repeat words that have no value, right? It's just like they know they've lost our attention, and so they say, repeat the word, and so just to get our attention. Don't you hate it when that happens? Have you ever felt? No, I don't, don't answer that. I'm not having you repeat the word reciprocity because I think I've lost your attention. I, I'm having you repeat it because I really like the way it sounds. Say reciprocity. I like to say it, but it's also an important word, and it's a big part of the reason why the generosity engine gets confused in our life, because many of us confuse generosity with reciprocity. Generosity means to give open-handed. It means that there is no expectation of return. When I'm generous with you, I go above and beyond, and with an open hand, I give to you, I sacrifice for you with no expectation of return. Reciprocity, on the other hand, is an agreement between you and I that when I give you something, there is an expectation of return. And when reciprocity is working properly, I give you something, you give me something, I give you something, you give me something. You understand the difference between generosity and reciprocity. The problem is many people confuse generosity and reciprocity. They think they're being generous when in reality they're practicing reciprocity. They think they're reflecting the character and nature of God and they present their actions, their activities, their giving, their sacrifice, what, however they use their time, talent, and treasure. They present it as if it's an open-handed gift when in reality they have an expectation of return. Now, hear me clearly, there's nothing wrong with reciprocity. The world only works and functions because of reciprocity. You, can, you and I can only do business because of reciprocity, because there's a, a contract, whether it's a stated contract or just an understood contract, that there is an exchange between you and I. There's nothing wrong with reciprocity. The problem comes when I present to you something as if it's a gift, when in reality it's a contractual obligation. Don't you hate it when somebody presents something to you as if it's a gift only to find out a few days later, a few weeks later, maybe years later that they expect some kind of return on whatever it is that they presented to you as a gift? Has that never happened to you? 
They give you, here's a gift. I, I, I just wanted to give you this. But in reality, it wasn't a gift because if it was a gift, it would have been open-handed. There would have been no expectation of return. I, I just want to spend some time with you because I love you and I care about you. No, I, I'm spending time with you because I expect to get something out of that time. Something wrong with you saying to me, hey, let's have a meeting and let's discuss this. But it's so discouraging and heartbreaking. And, and dare I even say and be honest enough to say, it actually, it actually creates dysfunction in relationships when people present something as generosity, but what they really mean is reciprocity. I don't know about you, but I feel like a person's being dishonest with me. I feel like a person's being manipulative with me. Have you ever felt like you were being manipulated? Oh, come on, all the wives. He brings you home flowers just because he loves you. We all know what that means. Hello? Oh, I'm just, I'm, honey, I'm just cooking you your favorite meal just because I appreciate you so much. She's walked past that handbag in the store 17 times. But she's just cooking you dinner because she just wants to see you happy. Hello? Listen, there's nothing wrong with reciprocity when it's understood, but when it's presented as generosity, now it's manipulation. Is it possible that there is frustration in some of our relationships with people because we're confused about our own motivation? Is it possible that there's frustration in our relationship with God? Because we present some things to him as if it's generosity, as if it's surrender, when in fact it's not, it's negotiation. I want us to look for a few minutes at some things that scripture have to say about generosity that I, I believe will be helpful to us. Because see, here's the problem. Biblical generosity is the opposite of what comes natural to us in the flesh. What comes natural to you and I in the flesh is bargaining. What comes natural to you and I in the flesh is to respond and to react out of lack and out of that lack to then make some sort of plan for gain. When humanity sinned in the Garden of Eden, we were kicked out of, we were kicked out of a place of abundance and we were cursed to a place of labor. Do you understand that? We've taught that here at, at North Place, so we understand that. And because of that, we've been trained as humanity to always be operating from this place of production or this place of labor. But here's the problem. You and I bring that mindset, that poverty mentality into our relationship with God. We've been reconciled to Christ. We've been renewed in the Lord. And instead of reverting to a Garden of Eden mindset where there is plenty and there is abundance, we stay in the place of the curse in our mind and in our relationship with God. And so we continue to approach him from a place of lack. We continue to approach him from a place of brokenness. And many of us are frustrated in our relationship with God because we are approaching him still through the lens of the curse rather than through the lens of the blessing of the garden. And so today we're going to look at what, what that looks like. Jesus was trying to explain to his followers uh, what it meant to live in the kingdom of God. There's a, 
a series of messages that we find from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. A little bit later this year, I'm going to do a sermon series, and we're going to go through all of, all of that Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go through that whole discourse. Uh, but I want us to, I want us to look um, just from Matthew chapter 6 today at a little bit of what Jesus said during this series of teachings that he gave about what life was like in the kingdom of God. Because here's the thing. In the kingdom of God, the way that God has called us to live often is the opposite of how we would live in this world. In Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 19 through 21. It says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Get this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's this discourse, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is teaching about life in the kingdom. You've got these new disciples. He's trying to explain to them what it means to be his follower and to operate in the kingdom. And so there's this whole series of messages. And right in the middle of that, in chapter 6, Jesus starts talking about several things. He talks uh, in the beginning of chapter 6 about giving to the poor. You remember that? He talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. So he talks about these activities that are considered religious activities that are considered acts of sacrifice, that are considered acts of even generosity. And so in this whole discourse in chapter 6, he right when he's talking about all of these things, about giving to the poor, about prayer, about fasting, and then ultimately about worry, right in the middle of that we read what he says here. He breaks in this conversation which seems to be about this religious activity and he says, hang on a second, let me, make it, let me make it really clear to you. If you're going to be in the kingdom, if you're going to be in the kingdom, you've got to make sure that you're focused on the right thing. See, if you go back, and I would encourage you during your daily 20 this week to go back and read Matthew chapter 6. Because oftentimes we see those, those different discourses as disconnected when in fact they're all really making the same point. When Jesus starts out talking about giving to the poor, the people were giving to the poor, but they were giving and then they were looking around and saying, hey, who saw me give to the poor? They were responding in compassion and, and, and instead, of, instead of giving with an open hand, they were giving from a place of reciprocity. They were giving from a place of a broken human system. If I'm going to give to the poor, I need to get something out of it. They, they knew they couldn't get anything from the poor, but they wanted social currency for their giving. Where's my phone? Desiree, can you give me a phone? I, I want to I demonstrate this really quickly. Here's what they did. They said, ooh, we're doing this feeding program. Let's take a selfie. Because I know you can't, I know you can't give me anything. But I want everybody in my life who I can get something from. Maybe it's just a check like on my Facebook or my Instagram. Maybe it's a share on my TikTok. But I want to get some social currency because I've given. Hello? Jesus says, whoa, we got a problem here. You are presenting 
you are presenting this activity as if it's generosity, but your heart is revealing something else. So Jesus talks about giving to the poor. He talks about prayer. Oh, these people, they, they come and they offer these prayers, but, but really they're, they're wanting to be, uh, did anybody hear me pray that? Boy, that was such a powerful prayer. Did anybody, wait, let me, let me, uh, I'll, just, I'll just make a meme. I, oh, I'm making this big sacrifice for the Lord. I'm fasting. Oh, oh woe is me. Jesus said, these, these people, this religious system that you're in, it presents its activity as if it's coming from a place of sacrifice. It presents... It's giving, it's generosity, it's service. It presents what it's doing as if if it's pure and good, but its motivation is something else. Jesus said that's not the kingdom of God. If it's really gonna be generosity, kingdom of God generosity, then right in the middle of chapter six, Jesus said, here's what you gotta do. You gotta make sure your motives are pure. Because if your motives are to gain some social currency, if your motives are to get the affirmation up from the world, if your motives are somehow or another so that you can win attention, then your motives are in the wrong place and it's not in alignment with the kingdom of God. Therefore, it doesn't work. Many of us in this room, we've been taught kingdom principles. We've been taught sowing and reaping. And we just keep sowing and sowing and sowing. And we're wondering why we're not reaping. The reason we're not reaping is because we're sowing in the wrong field. That was a good meme right there. That would have been a good place. We're sowing in the wrong field. Let's take up an offering for RFK. Oh, does anybody see me? Let me write this big check. Oh, Ari, I, where are you at, Ari? Ari, I just want you to know that I'm going to, I really feel moved to help RFK this year. So I could have anonymously slid that money in the envelope. But I just, Ari just needs to know. Where's the lead team? Let's gather them together. I just want them to understand. Hello? It's not generosity. Certainly not biblical generosity if I have an expectation of getting anything out of it. It's something different. It's reciprocity. It's the gain of social attention. It's the gain of getting... And then how does it... It even becomes more distorted as we, we move it away from others and we even move it into our relationship with God. Jesus says, listen, that's, that's just not how, that's not how the kingdom is going to work. Here's, here's the way it's going to work. If, if you're going to, if you're really operating in the kingdom of God, then you're not laying up your treasure on this earth. You're not worried about the ROI on this earth. You're worried about the ROI in the kingdom to come. I'm investing not for a return right now. I'm investing in a return that I may never see in this life. My ROI isn't you. It isn't now. My ROI is in eternity. Jesus said, listen, those who are in the kingdom, they don't lay their treasure up on this earth where moss, moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But they lay up for themselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Man, I can't not wait to be in a place where there are no thieves to come in and break and steal. 
Jesus says this really profound statement. Where your treasure is, it's where your heart is. What it is that, what it is that you value, that reveals your heart for these religious people, for these people that Jesus was talking to who were moving out of this, uh, this religious system that they were a part of. Jesus was challenging all of that, and he was saying, listen, look at your value systems, and where your value systems are really reveals whether or not you're operating out of generosity. What you're trying to generate, what kind of return? He's dressing this because actually it's, it's, it's at the heart of what it really means to be in the kingdom of God. They, they had come to believe that giving to the poor was only as valuable as they received credit for it. That prayer was only valid if it was seen and heard by other people. That, that fasting was only, was only vindicated if, if other people had verified it. All the while, Jesus was saying, listen, ultimately, you come to the end of chapter 6, your life is still riddled with worry and doubt. Some of us have been professional Christians for a long time. And yet our lives are still riddled with worry and doubt. Jesus said, on the other side of this relationship with me, on the other side of being in the kingdom where you're living in the economy of generosity, not the economy of reciprocity, on the other side of that is the absence of anxiety. Specifically, in chapter 6, he said, these people were like, what about what we're going to eat? What about what we're going to drink? What about, what, how, what about our clothes? What about where we're going to live? Jesus said, listen, in the kingdom of God, when you've, in, when you've said yes to God and you've laid everything down before him, you're not, you don't have to live with worry about what you're going to eat. You don't have to live with worry about what you're going to wear. You don't have to live with worry about how your, your daily necessities of life are going to be taken care of. Do those needs still exist? Yes, they exist. But in the kingdom of God, because you've placed your trust in a God that is transcendent of this broken system, you no longer have to live with worry doesn't say that you no longer have to live with work. It says you no longer have to live with worry. Some of us have become very confused. We think that the absence of worry is the absence of work. Nowhere in scripture does it say that the absence of worry is the absence of work. You're still going to work, but you don't have to worry. Man, that's so good. Some of us have come to believe that the absence of anxiety means the absence of activity, and that's simply not true. You can be active and you can work without worrying and being anxious. The question, if you would get real honest with yourself this morning, does anxiety and worry still rule in your life? If anxiety and worry still rule in your life, then you have to ask yourself, have I fully embraced what it means to be in the kingdom and to put my trust in God? I'm not saying that you won't have to work. I'm not saying that you don't have to hustle. I'm not saying that you don't have to be active. But I am saying that you don't have to worry. 
but a person whose relationship with God and relationship with the world is built on a system of reciprocity will always be worried about the thieves. They will always be worried about the moth. They will always be worried about the rust. And here in Durban, we worry about the rust. In the kingdom, in the kingdom, there's no degradation of resources regardless of time and space because the investment isn't caught in this time and space. The investment is transcendent. Jesus says the economy of the kingdom of God does not work if you are investing in the wrong place. The economy of generosity doesn't work in your life and my life if I'm investing in the wrong place. If my giving, praying, fasting, serving is so that I can be seen and heard, so that I can earn some currency in this life, so that even I can manipulate and move God on my behalf, I'm investing in the wrong place. Think about it for a moment. Many of us, our theology is twisted. We believe, we believe that if we do certain things, then God is obligated to do other things. Well, yes, I, I absolutely believe that. I've been taught that in sermons. You want to go find those Bible verses? And read them in context? The context of the Bible, not the context of a modern world that's obsessed with stuff and not surrender. We, we take the Bible out of context and then we try to hold God obligated to promises he never made because we've twisted it to preach a gospel that benefits me rather than glorifies him. I'll move over here. We preach, we preach a gospel that benefits me rather than glorifies him. And then we try to hold him accountable to a gospel that isn't even, isn't even real. Jesus said, listen, in, in, in the kingdom, here's how it's going to work. You're, you're going to lay it all at my feet. You're going you're gonna to surrender. You're, you're not going to give so that you can be seen. You're not going to pray so that you can be heard. You're not going to fast so that you can manipulate or motivate people instead you're just going to come and surrender yourself to God and understand that he is your source all of Matthew chapter 6 is about teaching one lesson what do you have your eyes on who do you have your eyes on are your eyes on the approval and the gain that you can get from other people? Are your eyes on what you can produce in your own self or on your own life? Or are your eyes on God? Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other. No one will serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The generosity engine doesn't work in our life if we're confused about who God is. I'm 
my relationship with God doesn't work as long as I'm confused about who God is. It's only on the basis of me understanding that he is God and I am not that my relationship with him works and that my relationship with the kingdom of God economy works in my life. As long as I'm trying to apply the economy of a broken system to the kingdom of God, as, try, as long as I'm trying to apply a system of reciprocity to a kingdom of generosity, it's never going to work. <laughs> That's so good. Before the fall, it was a kingdom of generosity, of open-handedness. Here is the garden. Enjoy. After the fall was a kingdom of reciprocity that said, go dig and produce. Are you getting this? And we move out of the broken kingdom of reciprocity into the healed kingdom of, of generosity in the kingdom of God. And yet we try to bring the economic system of reciprocity into the economic system of generosity that exists in the kingdom of God. And we don't understand why it doesn't work. And Jesus is saying to his new followers, you can't live with the same mindset. Your motivation and your mindset has to be different if you're going to live in the kingdom of generosity. So the question this morning for every one of us is, what is your mindset? What is your mindset and what is your motivation? As it relates to what you give, how you serve, how you use your time, talent, and treasure, what is your motivation and what is your mindset? Is your motivation and mindset that of the kingdom, that God is God and that you are not, and that everything you have is his? Or is your motivation and your mindset that I've got to work really hard? Is your motivation and your mindset I've got to produce? Is your motivation and your mindset i got to get paid? Hello? Jesus connected Matthew chapter 6, this idea that no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or he will love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus connected this idea of generosity to stewardship. See, here's the thing. Stewardship, biblical stewardship, biblical generosity and biblical stewardship are absolutely connected. Biblical generosity is rooted in stewardship. Outside of stewardship, you cannot have biblical generosity. As long as you and I believe that we are the owner, we are not operating in biblical generosity. If you think you own your life, you are not being biblically generous. If you think you own your time, if you think you own your energy, if you think you own your resources, if you think that you have a right to any of it, you have not surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus. Let me, just, let me just make that super, super clear. In our seeker-sensitive world of Christianity where we want everybody to come to church and we want everybody to be happy and we want everybody to come back every week and to like us and love us and follow us on Instagram, we've watered down the gospel to not make it really, really clear. And the gospel says this, you and I are completely and totally lost and broken in sin. And it is only at the complete and total surrender of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ that we are brought into right relationship with God. Anything less than total surrender, anything less 
then total surrender is still rebellion. Anything less than immediate obedience is still disobedience. Anything less than total surrender is still rebellion. You may be a seeker, but you're not a follower. You may come to church, and I'm so glad you're here, but you're not a Christian until you've surrendered your life to Jesus. You may be a seeker, and that's wonderful, but you're not a Christian. And the problem is many of us are trying to apply the, the benefits of the kingdom of God to a life that's not surrendered to the kingdom of God. I tithe, pastor, I tithe every month when I, when I get paid, I tithe. Why is it that the kingdom of God principles in my finances are not working? Well, well, let me ask you a question. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Well, yeah, but I, I, I really love him. I, I really like him. He's, yeah, but have you surrendered your life to him? Pastor, I come up for prayer every week. I don't understand why, why is it not working in my life? Well, that's wonderful. I'm so glad that, that, that you've, you've surrendered to prayer. But is he the Lord of your life? If he asks for something, is your answer yes? Pastor, I don't understand. I, I, my marriage is just constantly in. Have you surrendered to him? Does he own it all? Or is there a part that you're holding back? Are you with me? It's because I love you that I'm being honest with you. If I didn't love you, I would preach a very cheap, fake, easy gospel. I'd just fill the building over and over again on Sunday morning. It'd be a lot easier than this. It's because I love you that I'm telling you the truth. The truth is you can't expect the economy of the kingdom of God to work in your life if you're not surrendered to the kingdom of God. You can't expect to walk in the favor of God if you're not surrendered to the fullness of God. You and I must understand that biblical generosity is rooted in stewardship, and stewardship means that I have surrendered ownership to Jesus. There's another place in which Jesus says the exact same words that he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says it again in Luke chapter 16. It is so fascinating. The exact same words. In Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 13, the Bible says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Here it is again. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot live in a world in which you straddle two kingdoms. You cannot expect the benefits of this kingdom while living by the principles of this kingdom. God is calling you and I to a life in which the engine is sputtering, not sputtering, in which the engine is purring, 
But the engine's gonna always sputter as long as we're putting the wrong fuel in. As long as our motives and our mindset is still aligned with a broken world system that is not surrendered to Jesus Christ.